any of it. As Daryl actually said, today is actually the celebration across not just America but the world of Pentecost Sunday. Um, and for those of you that maybe have never heard of Pentecost Sunday and you're like, okay, like, is that like a holiday? How does that work? Basically what you can do, obviously it wasn't this exact day that many years ago. Um, it's the observation and the celebration and also where it's combined with the global day of prayer. So all across the world, uh, because of a different time zone, some of it actually started yesterday, but all across the world there's the, basically the identification and the remembrance of Pentecost, but the global day of prayer is praying for another Pentecost in our generation. Um, and so if you ever kind of wonder kind of how do they come up with that Sunday, it's exactly 50 days from Easter. Um, so wherever we celebrate Easter on the calendar, it's 50 days from there. So what we're, let's just be honest, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot we could talk about today. And there's some of you that, like, when I say the Holy Spirit, you immediately identify the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the Holy Spirit as the teacher, the Holy Spirit as the counselor, the Holy Spirit as fire. You know, there's something that each and every single one of us kind of identifies the Holy Spirit as, and that's actually how we um, can even identify his presence in our life. But what we're actually going to do is um, to keep it very simple and even very focused, because of it being Pentecost Sunday, we're actually going to look at the, the prophetic promises of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're then going to look at the fulfillment of those promises and then even how it's manifest in our generation and in our time. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Joel chapter 2. Most of you, I'm sure, are actually familiar with this passage of scripture already. So we find, um, actually for those of you, I'll give you kind of a little bit of a backdrop of Joel chapter 2, even before this prophecy comes into place. Basically, he's prophesying judgment that's coming upon the nation. And really what he's saying is you've departed from the Lord your God, and it's actually a very unique form of judgment that he's speaking about. If you study the beginning of chapter 2, he actually is talking about one form of judgment coming, and the Lord is going to relent for a season and give you an opportunity to repent. And then basically he says that depending upon your response, there will be another judgment that comes after that. And he's also even saying there's like that lull in between. It doesn't necessarily mean that God has relented or that he's changed his mind. He's giving you ample time to respond to those judgments. So this is actually, for those of you that are familiar kind of with the solemn assembly language, this is where he says, call a solemn assembly. Like, the, this is where we find the remedy for nations, cities, towns. You could even bring it right down to families. You know, the call to return to the Lord with all of your heart. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Turn to the Lord with fasting and with weeping. And the extraordinary thing is that he says that if we return to him, his promise is that he actually will relent and he will give mercy instead. And then after that, we actually find this promise that he gives in verse 28. And it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. 
and also my maid servants and, and my maid, sorry my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved for in Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be a deliverance as the Lord has said amongst the remnant whom the Lord calls this is an extraordinary prophetic promise that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh now let me ask you a question have we seen that yet have we seen the outpouring of let, let's just say we can say in a very practical sense that because of the multitude of unreached people groups that have, haven't even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have not seen the fulfillment of this yet in our generation but what we can understand is so this is pro prophesied in Joel chapter 2 and then most of you also know that before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist actually prophesied. It was in Luke 3.16. Most of you are actually familiar that as he was baptizing, they, he basically said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It was the, once again, we see this window into the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is coming. So we find this in Joel, the Old Testament. We find it in, New Te in the New Testament. And then we also find Jesus speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was prophesying about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, in John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So we find in the Old Testament the prophecy of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would be seen. We see Jesus prophesying of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see John the Baptist. The extraordinary thing about Joel 2, and just to clear up th theologically, there's some camps in the body of Christ that actually believe that, like, Book of Acts, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, there's some people that believe that was the fulfillment of Joel 2. Meaning, saying that there's some people that don't actually believe that we're to look for or anticipate or pray for, as it was prophesied in Joel 2, a final outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but that somehow in Acts, that's what we saw, we got it, it happened once, that was the fulfillment, and it's done. But what you need to understand is actually theologically, the, the, the most sound way to look at Joel and also to look at Acts is Acts actually marked the beginning of the last days. Not, not, let, let's just be honest, Joel 2 actually says, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So if it happened in Acts, that means that Jesus would have been returning like in a couple weeks or months. or But that hasn't happened yet. We actually haven't seen his return yet. So it marked the beginning of the beginning of the last days, the understanding of the generation of the Lord's return. That, that is actually the generation that we live in. So if you hear ever here in the house of prayer, we're living in the last days and you get like really freaked out. You're like, do they think he's coming like next week? Do they think it's in five years? No, biblically, Acts. Marks the beginning of the last days. So you can confidently say you are living in the last days. Whether that's five or 30 years, I don't know. <laughs> 
So just to clarify, what we see and what we're going to look at in Acts was not the, the total fulfillment. It was the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. So if you actually want to turn with me um, to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at um, 4 through 8. Actually, you know what, before I, you can stay there in Acts chapter 1, but just to, for more clarity, I'm actually myself going to start in Luke 24, but I will catch up to you in Acts chapter 1 in a moment. In Luke 24, 49, this is actually prior to um, the book of Acts taking place, all of that, this is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says, he says, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the uh, sorry shall be preached in his name, referring to Jesus, shall be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And this is what Jesus says. He says, "Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high." So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that I'm going to go to the Father. He's saying you go to Jerusalem and you tarry there until you are endued with power from on high. This, is, this passage of scripture and one other, it's very important that we look at. Because even as I said before, there's many things that we can identify with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself actually says here, he says, until you are endued with power from on high. He's actually relating the coming of the Holy Spirit with an empowerment. He's relating the Holy Spirit with power. So there's many, he could have said here, wait there until you're endued with the Holy Spirit, and then you will have comfort for all of your days. I mean, he could have even related it to fire, because many of us know they were baptized with fire at that point. But he actually, at this point, was basically saying, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. You will be endued with power from on high. Now the question is, power for what? Like, what do you need power for? And the, the verse preceding that, that I had just read to you, it actually gives us an indication of why he's giving us power. He gave us a charge and a mandate. And basically what he was acknowledging is, you can't fulfill this. You can't do it. So you go and you wait, and you're going to be endued with power from on high. So what was the charge? He gave the charge that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, in my name to all nations. That's what he said. He said, that's what I want you to fulfill. But he actually didn't tell them to run out and do it. He said, go and tarry there until you're endued with power from on high. So this understanding that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is empowerment. It is to empower us. It is so that we can actually fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, in every sense of the word, the empowerment, the empowerment for you to live a victorious life. The empowerment for you to do everything that the word of God says that you can do. So we find here, and this is Luke 24, 49, where Jesus says this, and he's relating the Holy Spirit with empowerment to fulfill the charge that he had given, that his name would be preached in every nation. So then Acts 1, 4, th uh, 4 through 8. In verse 4 it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to, said to them, It is not for you to, to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So once again, actually, we see that Jesus is saying, you're going to go there, you're going to wait, and what will you, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power. How many of us this morning actually feel like we have power? We've been endued with power. I mean, oftentimes we live our life feeling pretty weak, pitiful, confused, not sure what we're, not even sure if we're saved, forget being empowered with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but it's extraordinary that as we look at the Word of God and actually what it means to have the, see, okay, let's just be honest, most of us in here are from the charismatic circles. We think baptism of the Holy Spirit means I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues, therefore I've been baptized. That's a measure of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. But when we begin to look at Scripture, we recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of the Holy Spirit is so much greater. It's the empowerment to fulfill the Great Commission. So let's just like even bring it, let's bring it back a step. Then we would actually have to begin to question, if we don't have a burning desire for all of the earth to hear the name of Jesus declared, if we don't have a burning desire for his name to be preached to the ends of the earth, it's actually evidence of the lack of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the encouraging thing is that when we have a desire for, as he said over and over again, that his name would be declared, that his name would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, when that becomes the burning desire of our life, it's evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit within us. How many of you guys know that throughout the book of Acts, I would just encourage you, Blue Letter Bible, whatever you use kind of for your Bible study guide online, if you actually just plug in, even specifically book of Acts, Holy Spirit and boldness. There's at least six times throughout the book of Acts where literally in referencing the Holy Spirit, it speaks about the boldness that came upon men and women. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life is boldness. See, oftentimes we think of certain things as personality traits. We think of things, like, and I'll just use me, for example. You know, oft, I will get that a lot. You know, like after I preach at a solemn assembly of that, oh, that Bethany, she's fiery. You know, oh, she's a bull. You know, like that kind of, like, almost like it's like how I, like, came out of the womb. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you know, I might have had, a, like, an edgy defiance with my parents, but I was gripped with fear, timidity. I'd probably be in a psych ward if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's really not a personality trait. I don't care how inward you are. I don't care. And I guess I'll say even how insecure you are, because that's evidence that the Holy Spirit needs to break you loose. I don't care how intellectual you are. I don't care all of those things. If the Holy Spirit comes and breaks in, you're no longer timid. I don't care. I don't, I don't care how you're wired. I don't care if you're right or left brain. I don't care like where you are in the personality chart. Holy Spirit comes. 
There is a fire inside of you. I'm not saying it's going to manifest like me, and I'm not saying you're going to shout like me, although you may. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dictating the manifestation of what the Holy Spirit looks like. But what I am saying is you will no longer be inhibited. You will no longer be fearful. You will never actually, with the Holy Spirit, you will no longer process life the same. Because it's no longer about weighing the, you know, I love it. When you sit and try to problem solve with people, they, they, they weigh all of the pros and the cons. And if I buy this house, if I don't buy this house, if I, you know, they go through all of it. And when you just simply say, well, what's God saying? Well, I, I don't know. You know, like there's so many issues in life where we're trying to figure out, well, okay, well, bring me up. Okay, we'll just go here. This is me. So our family putting in our paperwork for adoption. You know, there's a whole host of things that that changes in your life. And on some level, you can kind of start going through, okay, if we go down this road, this is what my life changes really big. <laughs> like, it all changes. On some level, you can't sit there and put all, and I understand. I mean, it's kind of how I was raised. You, you put your pros, you put your cons. It's how I decided to marry Daryl. My pros outweighed my cons. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. But I get it. I mean, I, I understand the pros and the cons. It's part of being a logical individual. But there comes a point where you're not going to be able to determine three years and five years from now your circumstance. Mm, you just can't do it. Like what might look good today, what might look like an in-the-bag success, mm -hmm. like, like no-brainer. You know, I'll use even Daryl as an example with us coming into full-time ministry. I can't tell you how many people in our family, because we have other siblings that have gone very traditional, respected career paths. And we look like the absolute loonies, right? So, but I can't tell you, and I mean, this is sad and devastating to me, the number of family members that we've had that even jobs that you're never supposed to lose, like crazy circumstances losing jobs, where it just goes to show you cannot predict your future. And let's just be honest. My husband had a very secure job, had things, but who knows? And I, that's why I kept saying to him, we need to hear the Lord, because no matter how secure it looks, if we're not in the will of God, a year from now, you could be the one getting laid off. So this is what we need to understand. It's that place of the Holy Spirit. Like, logic goes out the door. Sorry to say that. I know, ugh, I just raised hairs in the room. <laughs> logic went out the door. But no, I mean, we're all logical individuals. The Lord's given us a brain for a reason. But there comes a point where we hear the voice of God. And we sometimes, we actually even say, I have peace about this decision, even though it makes no logical sense. I follow peace. Because that, that's Amen. the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's this place of understanding when the Holy Spirit comes, I challenge you, study the Holy Spirit and boldness in the book of Acts, that where the Holy Spirit is, you will have boldness. That boldness will be the byproduct. No longer will you have shame of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That whatever, the, so even, even speaking up on issues of righteousness in, in the school, in the workplace, Amen. instead of having a fear and like, a, you know, what's going to happen to me if I... It's actually like Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. That no longer is it optional, but you actually have the fire of the Holy Spirit living inwardly. So this is actually what we find in, in Acts chapter 1, where he's speaking about that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So he specifically said, I will give you power to be my witnesses. So the question is, if we as the charismatic church, I'm grouping myself there, born and raised in the charismatic church. If our baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we all speak in tongues, 
has not led to the preaching of the gospel in every nation. I mean, let's just be honest. Our entire childhood, it was categorized for like a certain group of people that had a passion for nations and missions and were willing to live in a hut. And you wondered if they might be slightly crazy. You know, like, who would do that? But it was almost like a specific group of people. Not, not if, you have been, if you have received the Holy Spirit, then you have received power to fulfill the Great Commission. And that is actually what the Holy Spirit is there for. Now, mind you, that does not look like... The Great Commission, the preaching of the gospel in every nation, does not look the same for all of us. It does not translate. Let me just say, most of you know that with Will's ability, as far as on the web and with videography, there's ways that Will could reach and touch the nations of the earth without ever stepping foot there. That when the creative juices start flowing, as far as ways for the gospel to be presented through multimedia, through music, I mean, songs that could go, you never know, there could end up being villages and people groups in other unknown lands that end up singing songs that come out of a church that has a passion for the, the glory of the name of the Lord and the nations of the earth. So I'm not saying it looks the same. I'm not saying for some of us we have actually, we have a gifting and anointing for finance. And your gifting and your anointing might actually be the sending of missionaries. You could actually send more missionaries to the nations of the earth and have more influence in that place than if you yourself ever went and were sowed as one seed. So we're not limiting the influence or even the translation of it. What we're talking about is the inward passion and burning and vision, which is the witness of the Holy Spirit. So this is uh, the two passages of scripture in Luke 24, 49 and Acts 1, 4 through 8. Um, actually here, the, the Greek word for power literally means to give you the strength, the power, or the ability. It's the inherent power, power residing in a thing or virtue of nature in which a person or a thing exerts and puts forth, power for per performing miracles, moral power, and excellence of soul. That's extraordinary. The power and influence, influence which belongs to, to rich, the richest and the wealthiest. Power and resource arising from numbers. I mean, the, the countless ways of understanding. I actually love where it talks about moral power and excellence of soul. For anybody that was here last week, we actually talked about what it is to have an excellent spirit. So let's just, we could even relate this that the power of the Holy Spirit evidence of our, in our life is actually related to an, an excellent spirit. That when the Holy Spirit is there, it produces an excellence of soul. That's extraordinary. The power to overcome sin is the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's look very quickly at the, basically, so we read about Jesus and the, the promise that he had given us, but let's look at where this promise was fulfilled and ultimately what this was leading to was actually in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, which is the day of Pentecost, which is being recognized all around the globe today, Global Day of Prayer. So this is actually what was being prophesied and spoken of is Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from he heaven as a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appear, appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then if you actually flip a little bit ahead, um, most of you know um, Peter actually preaches his first sermon. This is the evidence of boldness. The Holy Spirit comes and he's bold to preach the gospel. And not only is he bold to preach the gospel, we actually find the endorsement of heaven upon his words. We find that he preaches and 3,000 are saved. Like, that is an amazing, that's a miracle in and of itself. So even where we read that power actually is creative miracles, that the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, we find boldness, we found the endorsement of heaven, and we find a a, a miracle of 3,000 being added to the kingdom in one day. So basically, those that are watching this and witnessing this, they're saying, they're like, these people are drunk. They're drunk. They're actually accusing them of being drunk. So let's just equate it to the Holy Spirit brings joy. That when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, there definitely is a measure of joy that is abnormal and unpredictable. So basically, Peter goes on to say, they're not drunk, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, they're not drinking. And then here goes Peter. He actually says, in Acts 2.16, he says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. He's saying, you are seeing the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied. And then he goes on and he actually quotes Joel 2. That, that the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And how many of you guys know that from this place, I mean, the, way, the reason we acknowledge Pentecost Sunday and that we celebrate it, it is the birthing of the New Testament church. Like church as you know it, church in, as far as the experience that we have with it, is because of the day of Pentecost. It was because of Pentecost the gospel then was preached to Jew and to Gentile. Yeah. I mean, it was because of the day of Pentecost Peter gets a fire shut up in his bones. He goes out there and he preaches Jesus. When he preaches Jesus, 3,000 are saved. And then spontaneously, the gospel then literally goes to the ends of the earth. They become witnesses to to Jesus. They're endued with power. Joel 2 is happening. Like they're watching it take place. It's extraordinary. So it's actually part of why, like, the, it's a big deal. Like, we all acknowledge Easter, and there's certain sections of the body of Christ, I think, that actually forget to acknowledge Pentecost Sunday. But that's actually the importance of it, is understanding it's the birthing of the New Testament church. So we actually find that what form does the Holy Spirit come in? They say there's a mighty rushing wind that enters the room. And then it's tongues of fire that are resting upon each and every one of them. The manifestation of fire. Now, all throughout the word of God, we actually see the Holy Spirit manifested as fire. I don't know, is that, is there, don't raise your hand. But there might be some of you in the room that that's a foreign concept of hearing of the Holy Spirit referenced as fire. Um, number one, we just read in Acts 2, verse 3, that tongues of fire were resting upon their head. I also referenced you guys earlier that um, Luke 3.16 is where John the Baptist prophesied. He said, I baptize you with the water of repentance, but there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How many of you guys know the story of when um, Jesus, well, they don't know it's Jesus, but the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. It was after Jesus had been crucified. They're all downcast, sad, morbid, depressed. This is terrible. All, everything they thought it was going to be right just came crashing down. Well, Jesus is walking along with them and talking with them, and they don't even know it's Jesus. But what is their testimony afterwards? Did not our heart burn within us? The witness of his presence, our heart burned within us. 
So we actually see here as well the fire of the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys are familiar with Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7? Where Isaiah is actually speaking of his encounter with the throne of God. And then it actually he's speaking of a coal that was taken from the throne of God. I mean, let's just think about this. Anytime I challenge you, study the throne of God in Scripture. Study Ezekiel. He had an encounter with the throne of God. Study Revelations. Uh, Revelations 4, the revelation of the throne of God. Isaiah had an encounter with the throne of God. Study these places of the throne of God. There's fire surrounding the throne of God. So here's, here's Isaiah, and this is what he's saying. He's saying he took a coal from his altar, and he touched my lips, and he what? He cleansed me. It's the cleansing. It's the power to cleanse us of our sins comes from the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in and of ourselves. I mean, we can try to reform and change and transform. And some level, what we need to say is we need the power of the Holy Spirit to invade our sin and darkness and overtake it because we are powerless without him. It's not only the power to cleanse us, it's actually the power even to sustain us in that place and to continue in that place. So that's Isaiah, the understanding that fire is cleansing. And then, of course, Jeremiah 20 Uh, 99, your word is like fire shut up in my bones. Some of you actually know this. You you have experienced, whether it's in a worship service, or whether it's with the preaching of the word, or just even meditating upon the word of God, you experience the fire of God, like within you. You can testify of that burning fire. Can I just say to you that that is something that should not be abnormal to us? Of kind of like, woo, I like that. Like, that's cool. I haven't felt that for a long time. I only feel that when I go to this church or IHOP or Reading or, you know, all those. That is something that should be entertained and cultivated. Let's put it this way. If surrounding the throne of God, when we read about the throne of God, if there is fire surrounding the throne of God, that means that if we are encounters with the Spirit of God, we should be experiencing the fire of God regularly. And, and for those of us, when you feel that kind of spark and fire of the Holy Spirit, I'll just say it to you this way. It's only in the atmosphere of heaven that it can be sustained. Does that make sense to you? That it's, if, if all surrounding the throne of God, there is fire. I mean, it talks about the lampstands. It talk, I mean, all throughout. If that is where fi- the fire of God is sustained, there is an atmosphere in heaven there is a there is an anointing in heaven that actually sustains fire. For those of us in our life, if we wonder why we're not sustaining the fire of the Holy Spirit, we kind of have to look at the atmosphere of our life. Whether that be attitudes, whether that be mindset, whether that be music, whether that be what you choose to entertain yourself with. On some level, you literally have to sit there and kind of go, is this an environment that is entertaining the presence of God? Is this an environment where the fire of God is being sustained? Now, I get you. I mean, every once in a while, my husband, watch a mo- my husband and I watch a movie together. I'm not saying go out like freakish and plug out from all society and never engage in any of those things. But what I'm saying is just strictly for those of you in the room that would begin to say, I definitely can identify I need more of the Holy Spirit and I am not experiencing the fire of God to the measure that I desire. I'm not saying what that measure is. I'm not saying it's, I'm saying if it's not to the measure that you desire. On some level, we need to begin, what is the atmosphere you're creating in your life? In your dorm room, in your home, in your bedroom, in your car, everywhere you go, you're creating an atmosphere. 
Whatever you're doing, what you're meditating on, you're creating an atmosphere. What you're giving your time to, even if it's just the most generic of like shopping through the Gap website. I mean, if you're getting lost there for hours on end and lusting after clothes that you don't have and fantasizing about clothes that you want and all of that, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you just wasted it. You just burned it. You just created it. You know what you did? You created an atmosphere of discontentment, frustration. I mean, what did you just cultivate for that hour on the Gap? I don't even know what people shop these days, as you can see. <laughs> Gap is probably not what's being shopped. Yeah. <laughs> you? <laughs> oh my god, I don't know what people shop these days. <laughs> You'll ask our team. I'm like the most uncool when it comes to like fashion and. I actually came in with a pair of winter boots that I had for like literally six years, and I walked in and I said to the girls, I was like, these are right, like they're just black, like, you know, they're cool, right, they're fine, and the girls looked at me, I don't name who, but one of the girls looked at me and went, you're a mom. <laughs> like, that was her way of saying, <laughs> like, you can get away with it. And I actually, it's not a bad statement, because I use it sometimes, like when I'm just not up to snuff with all the other fashionistas around me, I'm like, I'm a mom. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> my life is absorbed with my child. <laughs> Anyhow, back on topic. <laughs> You're creating an atmosphere in your conversation. How many of you guys, like, I, I have a particular person in my life um, that definitely, like, God bless their soul, they're not, they, don't, they don't walk closely with the Lord, so no condemnation on them. But they definitely have a, a very negative disposition about everything. Like every time I see them, I'll get the laundry list of every person that's annoying them, frustrating them, can't do it right, can't, I gotta loan money to this person, I gotta, you know, just the, um, and I literally sit there going, oh my gosh, like the environment of negativity, criticism, everybody has a problem and they're like you know like that whole and it's amazing because I can either sit there and like go I just can't wait for you to leave my house right now like you know what I mean like get out of my surroundings or it's amazing when you actually just start to change the atmosphere yourself like when you start to be the one to go so it's a beautiful day outside isn't it like I've actually determined to dictate the environment and change the or if they're talking negative about somebody that I know or a family member I will intentionally say but we know what they're really good at and you know what I noticed that that person is growing in I mean it's you determining the atmosphere rather than hosting and feasting and festering an atmosphere of negativity yep. and criticism. Right. So the understanding, what is the atmosphere of heaven? In the atmosphere of heaven, there is fire, and fire is sustained. If you want to sustain fire in your life, if you want to not only be baptized with the Holy Spirit once, see, and this is what I think. I don't think we're all, like, waiting for the big, mighty, rushing wind. I think, I think there has been a measure of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what I think. I think that we actually don't entertain and host the Holy Spirit so that that fire increases. So, like I said, we kind of get, like, the flicker. You know what I mean? Like, we get it, like, once a week, once a month, and go, wow, that's amazing. What if you actually, like, gave yourself to that? No, like, really, like, for real. Like said, I am going to be about entertaining and hosting the presence of God. Yeah. You know what would happen is, I, know, I guarantee, even in the midst of worship, there's some of you guys that get like a little glimpse or even a vision of what God has for your life. You get it. Like you can, you can smell it. 
You can taste it. You, for a moment, your spirit sees light and truth and hope. Like you get a glimpse. And you know what happens is, is instead of us actually like abandoning ourselves and going after those measures of light and truth that we get, we kind of like then walk away, forget about it, and entertain a thousand other things. And then two months not, and two months from now, you'll be in like a service or somewhere or doing something, and you'll get this other this glimpse again. But on some measure, when we actually begin to give ourselves to that place. It, when we actually say that is the environment and that is the atmosphere that I want to create in my life. Where the activity of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the creativity of the Holy Spirit, the life of the Holy Spirit can dwell. I mean, I would encourage this as we're talking about, let's, like, let's not just talk about Pentecost Sunday. We're all New Testament believers. We believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to pray in tongues? Raise your hand. You know, like, let's pray for the infilling. How about we don't just pray for like a one-time infilling and then you go back to business as usual? How about what we do is we say it's Pentecost Sunday and we actually want to see what the book of Acts saw. We don't necessarily want a touch of the Holy Spirit when we come into Jehob, but we want the activity in, of the Holy Spirit within our home 24-7. See, this is the place where you'll actually move beyond getting a vision maybe once in a while of foreign missions or anything beyond ourselves. And this is where we'll become actually consumed with God's vision that he has and we'll be given over to it rather than getting touches and glimpses of it. So what if Pentecost Sunday, we make the vow to eradicate our life, like eradicate anything in our life that actually hinders the activity of the Holy Spirit. Like instead of spending time in the place of prayer, what do we spend time on? Like, what is it that we give ourselves to? And I guarantee, like, don't, I'm not saying you have to get rid of everything. That one thing, if you would just even substitute it with, with a place of prayer, of developing an altar for the presence of God in your life, it'll change everything. It'll change everything. And even as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, you'll find boldness come upon your life. You'll find strength come upon your life. You'll find clarity come upon your life. You'll find hope in places and this is exactly what is being said. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered. You'll actually find a strength in your inner man, not just to overcome sin and to live victoriously, but even beyond that, to live beyond ourselves and have vision for the world surrounding us. Come on. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And see, oftentimes in our, in our, in our American culture, it is, we are so intro perspective, intro focus about my life, my needs, my wants, my status, that really when the Holy Spirit comes, it breaks us out of all of that. And he says his gospel preached to the ends of the earth. Amen. And the more we host the presence of God and the more we entertain the Holy Spirit and are consumed with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the more the world surrounding us and his desire and vision for the world will overcome us and overtake us. Amen. So we see his promise was fulfilled in Acts 2, verse 1. We see the manifestation of his promise was the, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit and that his fire and his power is to enable us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth.
I actually just want us, because I, I really want us to have time at the end of service today so that we can join with praying what's being prayed all around the globe. And really what's being prayed all around the globe is that the Lord would send another Pentecost. Um, but really to some degree, I, I believe that it's something that he has to sovereignly do by his spirit. But I cannot deny the fact, let's, and we'll just bring it here, in the book of Acts, he said, go there and tarry there and wait. They weren't going about business as usual. Yeah, come on. Come on. They had stopped life, put it on hold, and said, this is of utter importance. I am going to tarry there until I am due with power from on high. So I definitely want us to join in with praying for another Pentecost, but I think that even to see the answer to that prayer of another Pentecost, it requires a group of people actually putting aside their own convenience and their own comfort of saying, I want the Holy Spirit to take over more of my life, yeah. to possess more of my life. You know, the Word of God says that our God is a consuming fire. You know, when you t think about, like, just for a moment, contemplate, what are the attributes of fire? I mean, oftentimes we want to kind of keep the whole Christianity, I'm saved, in like a nice, clean box. Like, I've said the sinner's prayer, I've been forgiven of all my sins, I'm going to heaven, and now I'm living life. But really, when you think about fire, like, number one, it gives light. But number two, if you think of, I mean, this is when I think about fire, it is forceful in nature. Like, once the fire starts, it kind of takes over everything in its path. It's not neat, it's not clean, it's forceful, and it's unrelenting. It consumes everything in its pathway. And that's the essence of when he says, our God is a consuming fire. That is the essence. It's he's not saying, I just want like a measure or a portion of your life. He's saying, I want the entirety. I want to take over the whole deal. Like there is no boundary time, but no boundary of like my time and his time. Like this is what I choose to do. This is how I choose to do it. And then he gets this portion, this piece, and this is how it works out. Like it's all his. Like all of our time, all of our money, all of our talent. Like he can come in and turn the whole thing upside down. Our God is a consuming fire. See, we have placed such boundaries upon, and I think that this is even where we've gotten it wrong with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We were taught the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to do this little thing like just open your mouth and it's going to like just come out. Like it'll just come out. So like we thought, okay. I've received the Holy Spirit. Nobody then said, actually, the Holy Spirit has come to take possession of you. Amen. Like, he didn't come to kind of, like, co-labor, partner with you. He came to take over the entire deal. Amen. Turn it all up. Let's just be honest. Peter did not go back to business as usual. Once the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, it all changed. He was catapulted into... Not only full-time ministry, but preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yep. When the Holy Spirit comes, he disturbs the peace. And it's that understanding of him as fire. That it's no longer us setting the boundaries, but actually our job is to yield and surrender and make room. And yep. say, this is my desire is more of you. So instead of us resisting the Holy Spirit, instead of us grieving the Holy Spirit, that we would more and more and more yield to his presence be surrendered, and be overtaken by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray for another Pentecost, I, and I guess I'm saying this because I don't want us all to stand to our feet and pray, we want another Pentecost, and we're just going to hope that maybe sometime this week or next month, like somehow, just in the midst of my busy life, the Holy Spirit's just going to break in and He's going to do it. Like, He's just going to do it. 
on some level, that is not at all what we find scripturally. We find, he said, go there and wait. Put it all on hold and let this have the preeminence in your life. That yeah. you're waiting for him until he comes. That word until is kind of heavy. No, really, it's very heavy. And honestly, I think the Lord likes that word because I honestly, it's very difficult for me to do it now. I can only do it in the late night hours now that I have a child. But and I can't do it in the early morning hours at all because once he's <laughs> awake, my day changes radically. <laughs> Someday I'm going to relate what having a child like the Holy Spirit. Like, <laughs> they just take over. <laughs> but that aside, I mean, I can't do it in the evening, but as a single person, my morning hours, because I lived here, I literally, it wasn't like, okay, I have an hour or I have three hours in prayer. I had no regimented amount of time. If the Holy Spirit came and met with me and spoke to me, and I encountered the Lord after the first hour, I was done. Cool, I met with the Lord. That's what I'm here for. But I would make the resolve of I'm not moving until I hear from Lord. I'm not here just to get in my quota of my chapter a day. Okay, did it. Read the word of God. Hour done. Got it. Got my word. Got my, I'm good to go. No, I am here because I need, I need, granted, he can speak to me through here. But unless I felt my heart move, you know the difference between going through the ritual, going through the form, going through all of it, and you know the difference of when your heart has been moved. And when I say, until you meet with him, I'm saying that resolve of saying, until my stony heart. I've taught my son to do this in the morning when he wakes up, and it's the cutest thing to see a four-year-old do it. Literally, because, I mean, I can't get him to pray for that long, right? He's busy. His prayer is, wake me up. Wake up my heart. Wake up my mind. He's just praying, wake me up to the Spirit of God. And if we pray nothing else, wake us up to the Holy Spirit. Until my heart is moved. That we would not go through a regimented cycle of how it looks or what it looks like. Or we fulfilled our obligation. I mean, honestly, if, if you're one that comes here for two hours for our prayer sets... Instead of like, okay, seven to nine, that's how it goes. We do seven to nine, seven to nine, that's how it goes. If you literally came into this place and by nine o'clock, if your heart had not been moved, if you have not yet encountered the presence of God to the place where you know that you've been renewed in your mind, that you've had fresh hope grip your spirit, that you've been envisioned by him, you stay put. And I guarantee you, it won't be till 3 a.m. Because when he sees that heart that says, I'm not moving until I meet with you. He's moved by that. But how many of us, we're not encountering the presence of God because we're actually not looking to encounter his presence. Come on. We're, we're not even expecting to encounter his presence. Come on. Most of us will think nothing of sitting on the phone until midnight. I have friends on the West Coast. So for them, it's 9 p.m., and I'm midnight going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. <laughs> we think nothing of that. But if we were, like, in the, like, you know, because we're, we're talking to friends, we're doing our deal. But if that was actually us in the word, in the place of prayer of saying, I am not going to bed until I've met with you. I haven't met with you yet today. It would change our lives radically. And I guarantee that instead of the Holy Spirit being a flickering flame in our lives, he would become a blazing inferno. That it would change the way we think. It would change everything about... It would change your emotional makeup. You'd go from being fearful and introspective and paranoid to bold and with fire and with confidence 
and willing to do anything. Amen. Because you have the endorsement of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand to our feet. thank you for the example that we see, Father, in the book of Acts of the day of Pentecost. And God, we just say, Father, that for all of us in this place, God, that we don't, we have need of nothing else. That you have given to us and entrusted to us and made provision for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And God, we just say, Father, as people, God, we want to be those, God, that are so keenly aware of our need for the Holy Spirit that we would not live lives that are independent and separate from. God, we thank you for just the counsel and the comfort of your word that you promise that you're a good God. Yes. And that if your children ask you for bread, if your children ask you for the Holy Spirit, that you will give it. So, God, we come before you this night, and, God, we say in many ways, God, we have lived our lives void of your presence and void of your spirit. <laughs> God, we confess to you that as we look at what the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, biblically, the outline that Jesus gave, Lord, that it was power for the preaching of the gospel to the ends yes. of the earth. God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, that we would be those, Lord, that experience the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord, even beyond us, experiencing it inwardly, God, that our lives would be overtaken by the strength and the fire and the boldness of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you, Father, that the testimony of the Holy Spirit is that we even begin to see beyond ourselves to the world around us. We see beyond our, even our own needs and desires yeah. to your burning passion that all the earth would hear the gospel preached and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, we recognize today, Father, that if we are without fire, that it's because we are without the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if we are without a burning passion for your name to be declared in the nations of the earth, Lord, it's a sign of a lack of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So God, today, as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, God, we just take a moment and we say, God, we want to make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to cultivate an atmosphere and a climate that the fire of God can not only be ignited, but be sustained within us. Yes, God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, that you would just speak to our hearts, God, anything within our lives, God, whether it be the mental, emotional space of our lives, or even the physical dwelling, God, of our homes. Lord, that creates any other environment other than an atmosphere of heaven in our homes and our lives. God, we say we want to create a place for you to dwell, a place that we might fellowship and commune with you. God, we say send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit that even as we've sang today, that you provide the fire and will provide the sacrifice. 
God, we want to prepare a place for you to send fire upon our lives and cultivate the fire of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's just begin to pray even for the church of God worldwide, even as today is Pentecost Sunday and Global Day of Prayer. Let's specifically pray that even as the church has not been the representation that we see, that you'll be endued with power from on high. Then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. God, that every place where the church, Lord, has become an institution to serve the needs and the wants and the pleasures of man. God, that we've been more concerned with entertaining man's carnality. Lord, that we've been concerned with hosting the presence of God, of sustaining the fire of God, and seeing the gospel preached to the nations of the earth. God, we ask you, Lord, Lord, would you come with a fresh baptism of fire in our generation? Lord, we ask you, Father, that even as across the globe, God, there's many raising their voice before you. God, we say, send the fire of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask, Lord, that even within Sunday gatherings all across the world, God, we say, light a fire in the heart of men and women. God, we say, ignite a fresh fire in the heart of sons and daughters. God, we say, awaken. Lord, we say, come and breathe upon the living embers. God, we ask, Lord, even for those that just have a remembrance of what your fire is, but Lord, that they have lived at a distance. God, we say, come with your breath and breathe upon the living embers. Lord, come and breathe and fan into flame fire once again.